After two decades leaving Afghanistan and mask mandates for your children in schools, next on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Welcome back to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. It's great to have you with us. I'm Vince Colonnese. He's Jason Nichols. And we've got a big conversation ahead of us, especially as you just heard on the issue of Afghanistan and the rapid collapse of events uh, going on in that country. Please make sure to like and subscribe and share this podcast wherever you can do it, all the podcast places, and especially on YouTube. Just follow us on the Daily Caller YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, share, and comment right there so other people can see the conversation that we have had and that we're about to have. Jason Nichols, what do we got? So, you know, it's Monday, so we're going to talk about what happened yesterday on the Sunday shows. And of course, uh, today we have to talk about an interview with Tony Blinken, our Secretary of State, with Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper pressed Tony Blinken pretty hard on the exit from Afghanistan. So take a look. The idea that uh, the status quo could have been maintained uh, by keeping our forces there, uh, I think is simply wrong. Okay. All right. So uh, I just want to get your, you know, your reaction to really to all of this, to, to, uh, to uh, Blinken being pressed right mm-hmm. there yeah. um, in that entire interview. We just had a quick cut there, but, you know, um, just wanted to kind of get your your reaction to it. I think Tony Blinken drew the short straw this weekend for an administration that didn't want anybody to have to go out and answer for what was playing out on television screens. Um, this kind of, in some ways, reminds me of Susan Rice in the wake of Benghazi. She ends up being the one that they have to push out in front of the Sunday shows, and uh, it is unenviable. And they have to, you know, I guess the phrase is put lipstick on a pig because, boy, was this a pig this weekend. Um, there's, there's, there's really no other way to put it. You've got Tony Blinken out there trying to explain why Afghanistan is collapsing in a way that Tony Blinken had suggested wouldn't happen as quickly as it is happening. Uh, That Joe Biden had suggested just a month ago in July that this Mm -hmm. wouldn't happen as quickly as it is happening. Um, He had said in in what is now going to be a a, really a fateful press conference, talking about Joe Biden, that uh, there's there's no evidence that Afghanistan is going to be quickly under the control of the Taliban. He said um, that there's not going to be a Saigon moment where you see uh, American helicopters flying people out of the U.S. embassy. Of course, now we've got the images of that very thing occurring. Uh, and you know, he had, he and the, the entire administration. And by the way, this is not this is not a partisan point. This is a bipartisan point. Both parties have done this for years. Had been claiming that the Afghan security forces were increasingly being well equipped and prepared in order to take on and handle the country for themselves. And those were lies. That was never true. They knew it wasn't true. And they kept lying to the American public about it in order to maintain our presence in Afghanistan. And now we're seeing all of those lies fall apart. And it just so happens that Tony Blinken and company have to go out there on the Sunday shows to try and explain it. And there is no good explanation. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, in my opinion, we should have been out of Afghanistan a long, long time ago. I think that there are many administrations going back to George W. Bush um, and, you know, I think one of the most frustrating things, and, and I don't know, you know if we didn't include this in what we're going to show today, but was seeing Liz Cheney. That was like, are you serious? Are you the person who's going to come up and criticize what's going on in, in Afghanistan um, when, you know, of course, uh, Dick Cheney is one of the big reasons why, you know, this quagmire exists. Um, I... I you know, I, I, there's a lot of detail that I think we can get into. Um, I think that maybe the timeline was off. I think they did not realize um, that the Afghan military was going to fold so quickly. Uh, they should have. And that's a failure of the Biden administration. But we all knew that this was essentially going to happen. We knew the Taliban was going to take over. Right. Um, you know, people thought it was going to happen some at some point in the fall. It happened earlier. And we knew, I think uh, Joe Biden and Tony Blinken knew that there would be a political cost to this. Uh, maybe they underestimated uh, how much of a political cost, but, you know, there there was going to be a cost and they understood that. They wanted to be the ones to end and get out of this war. 
Um, and I think that that was the right decision. Uh, the Trump administration had talked about getting out of out of this war as well. And had he won, I think it would have been pretty much the exact same thing. People who are talking about going in with airstrikes now and basically reinitiating a war, I think is is absurd. Um, getting people out of Afghanistan in a safe manner, Americans and, and our allies, you know, the U.S. has sent 3,000 troops in to protect Americans at an embassy. And the same thing, um, you know, the, the British have sent 600 troops. I don't see a problem with that and, and making an exit. The important thing was that this war had dragged on for too long. The Afghan military was well-funded. There's no question that they were well-funded, and I would argue that they were well-equipped. You know, so that's one area where I would disagree with you. I think they were well-funded and well-equipped, but there was too much corruption and there was too much disorganization. And that's ultimately what made them unsuccessful and basically lay down their arms. A lot of this yeah, was yeah. bloodless. You know, it wasn't that I the Taliban came in shooting. They came yeah, in and yeah. walked in the, into Herat and into Kandahar. You oh, know, by the way, and, we don't, we don't disagree, though. Kabul. The point... The point you just made, I don't disagree at all. Well-funded, well-equipped. I totally agree with you. We spent $2 trillion on that country uh, and and put a lot of uh, American uh, state-of-the-art military equipment in there now falling into the hands of the Taliban. I'm not, I don't question that at all. What my point was is what was exposed, uh, uh, I think, really clearly in the 2019 Washington Post publication of the Afghanistan Papers that demonstrated that military official after military official, government official after government official has lied to us for the past two decades about the preparedness of that force, regardless of whatever training and arms we give them. You've got guys who are de deserters pretty quickly. You have members Absolutely. of the Taliban who are, who, are, who are getting trained by American forces under the guise of being a part of these Afghan security forces. There's a lot of incompetence going on uh, there. And the story that we were told in the United States was one with rose-colored glasses on that this is well no they're totally capable they're on their way they're formidable and none of that ended up being true i may have even said i don't know if i did i definitely had the thought process i may have even said to you a couple of weeks ago as we saw some of these cities start to get to capture starting to get captured i may have even bought into some of the lines that well wait and see you're watching some of these afghan forces have capabilities the taliban aren't going to have an easy fight nope nope those were all yeah. lies the Taliban right. took everything and there was nothing to stop them. Yeah. And um, and and if you need one more piece of evidence, the president of Afghanistan himself fled this weekend right. and uh, and the whole thing fell apart. So and I, but I'm I think that's part tired of, of go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just tired of being lied about lied to about literally everything by our own government. And, you know, I, some people are right now pointing to. You know, it makes sense. The Biden administration politically is going to try and say, well, look, Trump had a plan in place for the exit and we were just following the basic details of the plan. And so therefore, this is the situation. This is the, the hand we've been dealt. But that's a way to evade culpability. I'm not just talking about this moment. I'm talking about like Joe Biden's entire political career as it involves Afghanistan. He has a lot of culpability. It goes well, sure. be uh, well beyond Trump. I mean, in 2001, when they authorized the use of military force, it was completely open-ended. There was never any restraints on it. And Joe Biden was a part of that in the Senate. And then Joe Biden was vice president of the United States for eight years with Obama. And they killed bin Laden, despite the fact that Biden told him not to even do the raid. They kill bin Laden. That was a perfect opportunity for them to say, OK, look, not only did we decimate al-Qaeda, we got bin Laden. Let's get the hell out of here. And right. that's not, that didn't happen. And so now for people in the Biden administration to be like, oh, well, Trump is the reason this is all going south. Stop. Spare me. The reason it went south is because it went south the entire time. And everyone involved here lied to the American public for two decades. No, I, I agree with you 100 percent there. That's that's where we're going to agree. I think uh, the Bush administration, uh, W. Bush, um, owes the American people an apology, the American military, an apology, uh, military families, an apology, and and probably, you know, the Afghan people, an apology in many ways. Um, yes, there were some good things that came out of this in terms of, you know, women's uh, rights and, and a couple of, you know, we certainly built up their infrastructure, but for what now, you know, at this point? Um, so I, I would say 
of course, that administration, then the Obama administration, they certainly should have started this. And they said, oh, we're drawing it down and we're going to leave at the end of 2016. That was the plan from the Obama administration after they killed OBL. That's what they were going to do. Um, and again, I don't think that date, because everybody knew this was going to happen. Everybody going back years, going back to the Obama administration, everybody knew the Taliban was just going to walk right back in to Afghanistan. So what did uh, Obama say? The end of 2016. Why then? Because he was on his way out and he would not have to pay the political cost for it. You know, he's like, let Hillary handle that. She's got more political capital. Hillary, Hillary didn't win. Right. Um. Hillary didn't win. So now you had Trump. Trump had four years. Uh, maybe you can certainly give him a little bit of leeway, maybe uh, because of uh, COVID. But he met with the Taliban in Doha. And I think and I truly believe and we'll get into more detail about this, that the Biden administration does have a point uh, with the way that the Trump administration handled um, that situation in Doha, meeting with the Taliban, not including the Afghan government. Um, and is this isn't just my opinion. This is what many leaders around the world and some of our allies also believe. So I, I would argue um, that every administration, of course, I agree with you 100% that, look, you can't blame the last administration. It's on your lap now. You have to deal with it. And I personally, the only thing that I'm giving the Biden administration, not Biden the man, but Biden administration, Tony Blinken, even though he's a career guy, um, some leeway with was I think that this was bound to happen. And this is why all of them were kicking the can down the road. Um, and and the Taliban was going to come in. The Biden administration, where they messed up, was thinking that this was going to be slow um, and overestimating uh, how the strength of the Afghan military um, and, and commitment, not even strength, commitment of the Afghan military. Right. Um, and I think that that's where we're falling short. Now, I, I kind of want to uh, play another clip for you and get your reaction to it. Um, and this is Cornell Belcher uh, on MSNBC, I believe MSNBC. Um, and he was talking about uh, Afghanistan and how it relates to the American people. So let's let's take a look at that. It is a dark day, but at the same time, look, you know, it's interesting that we're having a debate about spending a trillion dollars on infrastructure. And NBC reporting this week told us we spent over a trillion dollars in Afghanistan, right? And for the American people, if you if you're balancing a tr uh, tr should we spend a trillion dollars on bridges and roads and fixing and fixing up our infrastructure here in, in the United States or nation building in Afghanistan, I think it's pretty clear cut where American people are going to fall. So what do you think? I completely agree. I don't disagree at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like when you look back at this and you're like, wait, for what? The outcome we're looking at now, we could have had 20 years ago uh, in Afghanistan. For and sure. Yet with almost $2 trillion less spent there, and that money, if we're going to spend it at all, should be spent to advance an American interest, which is to take care of our own people. And by the way, the stuff he mentioned was kind of anodyne. It was like, you know, not controversial at all. I think there's bipartisan agreement on roads, bridges, that kind of thing. It's, it's all the other details, you know, naturally that people argue about. Uh, in in Washington. But yeah, I think that point is sound. It's like, look at this, this adventurism, this unclear mission, this, we, we didn't even know what the point was. Was it nation building? Was it the advancement of women and girls? Was it, I mean, what- That was, wasn't the point. What <laughs> was, what is- We what know is that wasn't the, the point. What is going to be the end? You mean in Afghanistan? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no I feel you. I was just saying, you know, uh, people who are bringing up women and girls, um, I'm just saying that that wasn't the point of of the war if that were the case we'd be in saudi arabia fighting a war we'd be sure. in china sure. fighting a war we'd be in many other places where women are abused we'd be in many parts of africa fighting wars but yes. we're not because that's not the point you know what i mean and and you're right um so basically i'm, I'm agreeing with you you're right what was the point you know i thought the point was to get obl and to get al, al qaeda out and we did that so what was the point? 
you know, after that. Yeah. So that's where I, I put the onus in part on the on the Obama administration, because, you know, at least the, the Bush administration can say we were trying to get Osama bin Laden. Um, I don't know that you needed a whole war for that, but, you know, obviously, right. because, you know, SEAL Team six came in with what, 12 guys and took them out. Um, so I don't know that you needed thousands and thousands of troops. And, um, you know, if you just want to go and build up uh, nations with no infrastructure, there are many places in Africa we could do that. And you better believe that China has beat up, beaten us to it, you know. Uh, so I, I'm not so sure that any of that was the point. So I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I didn't know. I was fine. trying to I was trying to but agree the, with you there. But the point you're making is is great, which is that, like, look, if we're going to be attacked like we were on 9-11, what is the answer to that? Well, the answer to that is to have a devastating punch to punch somebody so hard that they never want to do it again. And that was, I think what we went, we set out to do initially, even, you know, Donald Rumsfeld wanted to be in and out quick. That was the whole, that was, that was how he started um, the plan in Afghanistan. Yet it became, you used the word earlier, it became a quagmire. It became like, Oh, now we've got to prevent all terror forever. And the way we're going to do that is by building countries in our image. Like really? Before we went into Afghanistan, it was already known as the graveyard of empires. Like, how much more warning did we need? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and the interesting thing um, is I was reading a thread from a woman who served in Afghanistan. And I have a long text, text message that at some point I probably want to read from um, a friend of mine who served, a real good friend of mine who served in Afghanistan and his perspective. But, you know, part of it, she was like, this, this didn't make sense. We needed to get out. I know people are upset that it didn't go down the way it was supposed to, but this isn't in the American interests. We need to get out. And she pointed out, she was like, okay, so they started telling us it was about narco trafficking. Like it was about the, you know, yeah. the, the poppy fields yes. in Afghanistan and all of that. And that's where the world's heroin was coming from. And she was like, okay, so we would go in there you know, uh, and either pay these farmers not to yep. grow these poppies. And guess yep. what? The Taliban would come in and extort them and take the money. Or we would burn their poppy fields. They'd get pissed and then join the Taliban. <laughs> she was like, this this didn't make sense. The strategy didn't make sense. And this on wasn't front, the purpose. Specifically, they never put a dent in it. Opioid production continued <laughs> right. at pace. Like it was all so stupid. And it's crazy. So that became yet another mission. So we, we we had this mission creep and all of it was going on and uh, it was a failure. The opium thing in particular appears in the in the Pentagon paper, excuse me, not the Pentagon papers, but the modern version, the Afghanistan papers. Um, and and yet again, you, you laid it out precisely right, which is like we tried all these different strategies. They all had all these unintended consequences and we didn't slow the opium at all. Right. Right. I'm. I... <sighs> You know, it, it is heartbreaking to know that um, there are going to be some rollbacks in human rights. Um, but again, that's not why America fights wars. Right. And I think, you know, there's a, a difference between intervention and regime change. And we came in, we, you know, wanted to change a regime put our people in there. They were really unpopular, like Ghani, who tucked his tail and ran. Um, I think we've we've got to stop this strategy. You know, um, people ask me, I get a lot of questions from Democrats. You know, people ask me, you know, because Tulsi Gabbard wasn't very popular with, with a, you know, some, with a lot of Democrats. And I was somebody who, and am, I, I would say, somebody who's friends with Tulsi. And they'd be like, how can you be friends with her and all that? And a lot of that was the foreign policy issues, yeah. was the anti-regime change wars. And that's where if there's a place, you know, people, uh, I've had people on the right be like, you have TDS. I'm like, totally desirable sexiness? Absolutely. But the, the <laughs> one thing um, that I would say is I agreed with Trump when he was like, yo, these wars need to stop. Like right. this, this doesn't make sense. But speaking of that, 
we had some comments on, uh, you know, to Chris Wallace from Mike Pompeo. So let's let's take a listen to that and, you know, react to Mike Pompeo speaking on being blamed for what's going on in Afghanistan. It's worth noting this did not happen on our watch. We reduced our forces significantly. The Taliban didn't advance on capitals all across Afghanistan. So it's just a, a plain old fact that this is happening under the Biden administration's leadership now, almost a quarter of a way into his first term. This is this is not the way leaders lead by pointing backwards. We had a bad deal we inherited. The JCPOA, we got out of it. We secured America from the risk from Iran. We inherited a horrible deal in Syria where ISIS controlled real estate the size of Great Britain. We crushed them. Every president confronts challenges. This president confronted a challenge in Afghanistan. He has utterly failed to protect the American people from this challenge. All right. So what do you think? (laughs) Well, this is the product of the statement that the White House released this weekend, uh, laying blame on the Trump Taliban deal, saying, look, our hands were tied. This is the reason why this outcome has arrived. So that's what Mike Pompeo was reacting to on that Sunday show. Uh, And you you as you might expect, that is the kind of thing that they would push back against. Like, okay, stop blaming us, because, again, this is happening on your watch. That's what uh, Pompeo is saying. I think I mean, it's hard to divorce yourself from the bias that's involved with the guy who's speaking naturally, because, of course, he's looking to evade responsibility of any kind. I think it's possible to look at the Trump arrangement with the with the Taliban um, as flawed. And yet simultaneously, as you mentioned before, to say, okay, there's plenty of blame to go around and uh, Joe Biden has to shoulder his share of it. You know, for one way that Pompeo is unimpeachably right is that it really is up to each administration to set their own terms on on how things go. Right. So there's all sorts of things that Donald Trump put into place via executive order that uh, or otherwise that. Joe Biden has completely abandoned because Joe Biden's president of the United States now. So Biden can make his own decisions about all of these things. And in Afghanistan in particular, remember, Donald Trump's plan was to get out in May of this year. That's not what happened. We're now in August. And the reason for that is because Joe Biden changed the terms. He decided that, no, we're going to leave at a different time. And one last element here that Biden has to shoulder, I think, 100 percent of the blame on. There was no plan in place for the rapid takeover of the Taliban and the needed visas to get Afghanis out of the country. So now you've got the State Department and the Department of Defense trying to craft some sort of rushed visa system to get people into the United States. These are all things that were predictable consequences on in the realm of, okay, what could happen if the Taliban move quickly? Are we prepared to take care of the people that we promised to take care of? Um, that didn't happen. We we pulled out of the country. We seem woefully unprepared for that problem. And now you're seeing these vivid images of people literally climbing on the military jets from the exterior and falling off of them as they try and fly people out of the country. It is a nightmare. And this stu- that that part is, is in no way the kind of thing that you could look back and say, oh, the last administration set us up for that. Yeah, so... Um... <clears throat> We agree for the most part um, in the sense that, you know, I, I always thought it was really funny. Well, I, I will say this. I think it's hilarious that a member of the Trump administration is talking about evading responsibility and, you know, and passing the buck uh, because that's kind of their M.O. But at the same time, I mean, even when we were talking about P, uh, uh, PPE, Oh, um, and they were like, well, Obama didn't refill it, you know, three years into the Trump administration. So I, I, I think that that is a little bit of irony, but I think Pompeo essentially is correct that it's your problem now. You know, I think Biden is correct uh, about the fact that, number one, getting out of the Iran deal We can debate whether that was a good idea or not. But one of the things that I think is a strong argument against it is because it shows that America doesn't honor its commitments. It makes deals and then doesn't stand by them. They like, oh, no, we don't like that. We're going to rip it up four years later. Why would anybody go into a treaty or deal with the United States if the United States isn't going to abide by it? Um, The other thing that I would say is the deal in Doha was terrible. 
That was awful. And it did lead to the demoralization, further demoralization um, and corruption within the Afghan government and Afghan military. As a matter of fact, uh, the Secretary of Defense in the UK, a guy named Ben Wallace, not that Ben Wallace, even though, you know, I think it's pretty awesome that the Secretary of Defense in uh, the UK is named Ben Wallace, if you're a basketball fan. But anyway, uh, called Trump's deal with the Taliban rotten. And as a matter of fact, let me see. I think I, I can pull up the quote here. Um, I think that deal that was done in Doha was a rotten deal. It told a ta- the told the Taliban that it was winning when it when they weren't. I'm sorry. That it told a Taliban that wasn't winning that they were winning, and it undermined the government of Afghanistan. And now we're in a position where the Taliban clearly have the momentum. You know, so it's not just the left in the United States that are attacking uh, the plan in Doha and what what happened in Doha. And part of that plan was to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners that are now back fighting with the Taliban. So it just bolstered the Taliban's numbers by 5,000, give or take. Um, so I, I think that that plan was really flawed. And I think Biden, the Biden administration is correct that they are paying the cost for that. But at the end of the day, you know, when you are behind the resolute desk, it is your problem. You must deal with it. Stop blaming and pointing back at the other guy. I don't care if you're a quarter in, six months in, it's your issue. Can I ask you, I, as you know, as you and I are talking, uh, apparently yeah. Joe Biden is there's I just saw breaking news alert that Joe Biden is preparing now to return to the White House and to address the nation uh, regarding mm-hmm. Afghanistan. But we went through a weekend where he was not behind the resolute desk. He was at Camp David. The White House put out a photo of him uh, talking, you know, having a communications over um, a video conference uh, with various stakeholders here in the United States and elsewhere. Um, is it. What do you think of the of, of Joe Biden not making any appearances this weekend? Are you troubled at all by that in light of the way events were unfolding? Uh, I wasn't, honestly. Um, we know a lot of business goes down at Camp David. Um, that's not, I mean, we talk about it as like some sort of vacation home for the president, but it's not. We know what it is. Um, it's very secure um out there in uh in western maryland it is not like some you know vacation spot it's not like he was surfing in cancun um i think he was doing business but one thing that i that i i do want to say is i understand again another projection is that the as that al-qaeda is going to return uh to form with the protection of the taliban Um, and that, that is a possibility. Um, I think it would take a while before the Taliban, excuse me, before Al Qaeda returns to, to full strength, um, to, to the point where they can carry out, um, terror acts, particularly in the West, like in the United States, in the UK, before they get to that point, I I think it's going to take a while. Um, the thing is. Um, and again, I, I'm not a national security guy, so if you disagree with me, I totally get it. Um, but in terms of leaving Afghanistan, the way it looks right now is this is in the American interest. It's in the American interest financially. It's in the American interest in terms of, of lives and safety. Um, and... Of course, there are ways that could have that it could have been handled better in terms of, you know, getting the translators out. And and you and I talked about that a few weeks ago. If anybody wants to go back to that episode, um, there are certain things that I think could have been handled far better. Mm -hmm. But over overall. It is not in the American interest to stay in Afghanistan. It is not in the American interest to go and bomb Afghanistan now or or to get into a war with the Taliban when the Afghan people aren't fighting a war against the Taliban. And as a matter of fact, one thing that isn't understood that the Biden administration has made pretty clear is that they're willing to support with airstrikes. 
But the Afghan military had to take the initiative to fight. And guess what? The Afghan military didn't do that, and they're not doing that. So I think it is the right thing, even though the timeline is not adding up. People are like, oh, this is a Saigon moment and, you know, what have you. We needed to get out of Vietnam, too. And we got out and we needed to get out of Afghanistan. And it makes no sense to be there if the Afghan people aren't even fighting the Taliban. Yeah, I, I, uh, I there is a part of this where I need to give Biden some credit. Uh, which is that he resisted the urging of a variety of generals uh, and national security people within his own government to keep staying there in perpetuity. Right. Um, who were always a part of the security state that's like constantly looking for excuses to keep us in Afghanistan. Um, right. He resisted that and he pushed ahead anyway. Now, with that said, I think there have been some colossal failures when it comes to how we actually get out and um, you know, not planning ahead in a reasonable way and and leaving us with disasters that we didn't need. Would the Taliban take over the country? You said at the top. Yeah, I think when you say everybody knows it or everybody knew it, I think that's true, uh, especially now with the benefit of hindsight. It seems pretty obvious and it should seem obvious to people who are in the national security realm. Um, but so so I think Biden's a mixed bag. Like I, I do think it's good that f- finally somebody as establishment as him you know, was even even able to reject the the status quo consensus within Washington that we needed to keep staying in Afghanistan forever. Um, that's a good thing that he was able to push back against that and to use the power of the presidency to do that. Um, so I, I that I think that that part deserves some credit. Yeah. Can I can I read you like a, a quick thing um, that a friend of mine, like I said, who served in Afghanistan? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love this guy. I have so much respect for him. His, you know, he had his, his wife was pregnant here while he was in Afghanistan, you know, fighting and he, you know, he, he went through a lot, um, while, you know, for, for his country. And, you know, one of the things he texted me, I won't say his name, but he texted me and he said, you know, bunch of military veterans active and retired are chiming in on the U.S. exiting Afghanistan. These same mother effers, uh, of course he said the word, but I won't, um, when we were there, were bitching why we were there and saying why we were losing other military personnel for a war in which their own citizens didn't want to fight. Now they want to criticize the Biden administration for exiting and letting everything to crumble. Everything that was there or simply, or excuse me, everyone that was there or simply paying attention knew this was going to happen. Afghan army didn't have the will to fight against the Taliban. Taliban waited patiently for the U.S. to pull out for them to take over. Bro, I saw how in one battle the Afghan army ran away from an attack. I flew in a helicopter to save some Afghan soldiers since their personnel refused to bring them home. I had to wake up their major several times to coordinate a flight until one day, one of my leaders said, F it, go and get them. Like, it's pretty clear they didn't want to fight. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so F them with their man wasted, man, we wasted our time for no reason. And now Biden, blah, blah, blah. Bunch of mother effing snowflakes. Same dudes that would hide indoors and not salute the flag, yet criticize Cap for kneeling. Everyone is entitled to their opinion, but they're soft, bro. Bunch of snowflakes. I, I won't go on and on, but um, yeah, he's like one other part that I thought was pretty poignant. Yeah. Um. You know, when he was talking about, he talked a little bit about the Taliban, or excuse me, the um, the Afghan government and about the United States. He said, my question to their leadership is, what is the vision? How is it, or how is that being translated to them? The Taliban, to me, is doing a great, commun- doing a great job communicating their purpose to its people as they continue to fight for their goal. Why are we surprised? We saw it in Iraq, which was well expected as well. Yes, it sucks, but let's detach emotions. 
Once these soft-ass snowflakes do that, maybe they'll understand. But who knows? Maybe I'm just a cold-hearted person. I, well, I'll leave it there. But the, the point is, you know, uh, I think that the Afghan government did a poor job uh, galvanizing its people. Yeah. The people didn't believe in, in President Ghani. Yeah. You know, uh, these guys had no purpose. They had no purpose for the people. The, the purpose was for themselves. It was a kleptocracy. Right. They were taking our money and just corrupt officials. It was just and the whole the writing was on the wall. And so if you don't. So 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 at that point, you know, what are people in Afghanistan going to do? They're going to turn to the people who have the strength who, and and now it's the Taliban. Right. And and the the, the interesting thing about these these guys um when we look at Ghani and, and the government was with all the money we were giving them, there are reports that a lot of the military were, hadn't been paid in months. Do you expect them to fight when they're, when they haven't totally. been paid in months? Totally. You know, the, the leadership was corrupt, was, was taking money. And as a matter of fact, while we were saying that there were 300,000 uh, Afghan soldiers, that number was inflated. They, they had something called ghost soldiers where the superiors were taking the money that was meant to be paid yeah. to soldiers that were out there. People were deserting. The other thing about the, the, um, the disorganization of it all was the fact that a lot of Afghan soldiers were stationed far from their homes. So when the Taliban is coming back, are they going to stay on their post? Or are they going to leave and go back and defend their homes and their families? So people weren't incentivized. They're not getting paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're expected to stay on their posts and defend people they don't know and leave their wives and children at home. It's, it's not going to work. Nope. So the Taliban came in and literally walked in. Like people think that the Taliban just came in with this brute force with their 60,000 people against 300,000 soldiers. And bolstered you know of course they could they could bribe people which was a, a large part of it the other thing they could do was say you know we met with the americans they don't even want to meet with with the with ghani or with his government or with any of the military leaders we met with them we've got the picture next to pompeo you know our deputy leader has the picture next to pompeo they know we're going to be in charge eventually so you might as well just give up now and that's exactly what happened. So I think everybody shares blame in this. You know, of course, it's political. You're going to get, you know, the darts thrown from the Trump administration. Biden's going to look back at the, you know, at the Trump administration. And in reality, it's everybody. It's, it's our government. And this is why people don't trust our government, no matter who's the president. Now, yeah. having said that and gone on that, on that rant, <laughs> Um, we also, uh, have some commentary from Steve Scalise, uh, who wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what we all saw when the diplomats and others were being taken out of, uh, uh out of Kabul. Uh, it's a very dire situation when you see the United States embassy being evacuated. In fact, you just had President Biden a few days ago saying you wouldn't see helicopters evacuating the embassy like Saigon. And yet here we are. This is this is President Biden's Saigon moment. And unfortunately, it was very predictable. Uh, it seems like many in President Biden's intelligence community got this devastatingly wrong. And I think a lot of questions will be asked later about why just weeks ago, they were saying something completely different than what we're seeing on the ground today in, Af in Afghanistan. All right. So Steve Scalise said something that really resonated with me just now. The intelligence communities got it wrong. He said the Biden intelligence community. But let's not let's not stick this to one party. The intelligence community is a disaster. It screws up. It seems like everything of consequence. Uh, and that has been true now for decades. It includes the predicates to going into Iraq. It includes the spying on the Biden uh, on on the uh, on the Trump team. It includes spying on American citizens. It includes spying on the United States Senate. It includes assessments of not knowing how quickly the Taliban are going to retake the Af Afghanistan. It's disaster after disaster after disaster. The intelligence community is very good at collecting information. It is horrific at analyzing it. And I is this 
just as you know, I, I realize like it's in Steve Scalise's interest to say, you know, as a political matter, you know, what a disaster Joe Biden is. And that's fine. He's a disaster from my view. I agree. But that's not my point. That's not the thing I care about the most here is that the intelligence community continues to be a disaster for the American people. And we can't establish just because it depends on who's in power. But by and large, we can't establish a bipartisan consensus that the, the intelligence community needs to be smacked wide open uh, and fixed. And instead, it's just becoming it just it just has this Leviathan status. It continues to become more powerful, continues to screw up the most consequential things and and it never is held accountable for it. Yeah, um, like I said, and, and I've said this several times on this show, I will never be the one to sit here and defend the FBI, the CIA, you know, and, and other intelligence agencies, NSA, et cetera. Um, I don't think they get everything wrong because the things that they get correct, we don't know about. Um, but do I think that they overreach sometimes? Do I think that they uh misjudge some things uh absolutely um and i think that you know steve scalise you know that was relatively you know a relatively measured response to it and it is not i think i'm glad that you said that you know it's not the biden intelligence community like the intelligence community doesn't turn over every four years that's not how you know, just like the State Department, if you're a career person, like they don't turn over like that. This is they're non they're supposedly non-political. Um, so, you know, the Biden intelligence community. Uh, I think that, you know, I'm glad that you you pointed out the fact that, you know, the intelligence community probably needed to be fixed before, you know, certainly before the last six or, or eight months or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and like I said, I'm never going to, you know, I'm never going to come in and, and cape for the for the intelligence community, particularly for what it's done historically to my community, to black communities. But um, it, not only in the United States, but internationally, you know, with the assassination of African leaders and all kinds of things. But um, at the same time. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, make it seem as as though they're so completely broken. I, I don't know. And, and I'll honestly say I don't know that that's the case. But I do know some of the high profile mistakes that they've made uh, that have come to light. And when you do have high profile mistakes that come to light and cause these kinds of situations, it usually means that there are 10 lower profile mistakes that were made that were consequential in, in many people's lives that we're not right. aware of. Okay. So let me, let me ask you though, cause you made up, you brought up a good point. Okay. Their successes are hard to measure because they're secret. I, I, I'll grant that. I think that's, that's a, that's a fair pushback, but think about how much power we've given these agencies in the wake of nine 11, especially. Yeah, and how many times we've sure. caught them abusing that power. And so now you've got this awesome power. You can collect the world's data. It's not just the stuff that the government collects. It's the stuff that all these private communications companies collect. And then the, the government has its hands in it. We know, thanks to Ed Snowden and, and the release of all those documents. They just, they, they collect vast quantities of information. So with all of that in mind, if, if that's what they're doing, like, why can't they use it to successfully assess anything? Like, or at least in this case, like you have... You have the intelligence community saying, oh, no, the Taliban's not going to retake the country that quickly. You had Joe Biden say that a month ago. He, he was confronted with an intelligence community assessment. They think Afghanistan's going to fall. He's like, nope, that's not what they're saying. I'm the president of the United States. They're not saying that. That's not going to happen. And sure enough, it did. And so well, I guess, he, he said not so not as quickly. <laughs> I think that everybody knew it was going to fall. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. My understanding is. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. He just made this point. He just made this point. No, the intelligence community assessment is, you know, that the, the Taliban is not going to have an easy time of it. And that's just, that was just wrong. It was just completely wrong. Yeah. And it and it's relevant and it's important. So I guess my question is, like, if if they're going to have this much power. Like, can't they use it successfully? <laughs> like, because because all I'm finding out about is all the times that they're abusing us with it. And 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 that includes bending our 
desire to go to war, right? So like to go to war in Iraq, the intelligence community screws it up entirely about weapons of mass destruction. Like, absolutely. I, I, I just, at what point do we get it right? And do we say, okay, you know what? We need to take away a dramatic amount of your power because the only thing you're using, using it for is abuse. And the rest, the stuff that we find out about, a lot of it is lies. And a lot of it is bringing us in the wrong direction. And I, I, I hate to say any of this, but history has proven everything I just said. It's, so it drives me crazy, Jason. Yeah, you know, uh, with the weapons of mass destruction, um, you know, sometimes I wonder how much of that was an intelligence community, an actual intelligence community uh, assessment, and how much of how much of it was just an outright lie by um, the Bush confidants and, and Bush himself um, to justify this. I, I wonder sometimes if you know. NSA and CIA or whoever were uh, were actually saying, "Ooh, you know, that looks like a weapon of mass destruction," or whether mm -hmm. it was like they got together, Dick Cheney, um, Colin Powell, uh, all these others, you know, got in a room and said, "How are we going to justify this war?" Um, you know, I I, re I really honestly wonder that. And you know, Crystal Ball tweeted something really interesting that I have to say. Um, you know, was, you know, kind of resonated with me and it's a little harsh, but she said, finally, maybe people will recognize that, you know, George W. Bush is a lying war criminal and not just Michelle Obama's friend and Ellen DeGeneres's friend. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, it's time for us to revisit the fact, why were we in Afghanistan? Why were we in Iraq? Why did we lose the Ameri these American lives? And how many Iraqi and Afghani lives did we lose that were unnecessary? Um, I, and I think getting out, again, people are, are projecting all of these things about how it's going to cost us, you know, cost the American people. Oh, this is a huge disaster. Oh, it's a Saigon moment. Um, but from my perspective, uh, precautions were taken in order to make sure that American diplomats and American citizens got out of Afghanistan safely. And if I were a diplomat in Afghanistan, I would hope that my government would take those precautions. Um, and they got, they're getting people out safely. The Afghani people, unfortunately, they did not have a plan for them. And I think that that is tragic. But in terms of the American interests, our interest was to get out of Afghanistan. I think Trump was right about that. And I'm not afraid to say it to anybody. Trump was right, right about that. And I, and I don't like how he handled it. And I think Biden is right about that. I don't necessarily love how he's handled it. But at the end of the day, the important thing and the thing in the American interest is the bottom line. And that is getting out of Afghanistan. Right. And it's to justify why we're there at all if we're going into any of these countries like have, have have a clear justification and we can't be passing anymore i referenced it before blanket authorizations for use of military force that have no end cap whatsoever that are just completely unfettered uh, right. and that's how you get these sprawling international conflicts without definition all being authorized by a congressional action that never even foresaw the countries we'd be engaged with. So I there are like there are a colossal number of mistakes here that right. you know a normal sober country would be able to look back upon and say, boy, we should never do that again. Um, right. and gosh, I hope I hope there are some lessons derived from it. Yeah, I I really, you know, again, um it's frustrating for me to hear Mitch McConnell and other people talking about, well, we need to airstrike and we need to secure that like no, we need to get out. And I think that, you know, that's where at the bottom line, even though the timeline was misjudged by the intelligence community and Biden said this and that, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm on record saying I agreed with Trump, even though I didn't like how he handled Doha. And I'm on record with that at the time, too. Um, I, I'm, I'm on record saying, you know, from the very beginning, when Trump was talking about getting out of Afghanistan, he was right. And Biden 
actually executing it and having the guts to do what nobody else would do, I think is right. And I, you know, and I understand that there are mistakes being made. Uh, and there are mistakes that happen anytime you get in a 20 year war. There's no, I'm not sure that there's ever going to be a clean exit. I'm not sure that there was ever a way for this to actually look different, to, to be honest right. with you. Uh, with the circumstances that led up to it. So I understand why Boyden, uh, Biden is pointing behind him. Although when he points behind him, he's pointing kind of at himself a little bit, <laughs> you know, that he was a part of it. He was in the room, uh, you know, for many years. Um, I think Trump needs to take responsibility, fat chance. Um, I think they all do. Um, and I know that o- Obama and, you know, W is somewhere painting breathing a sigh of relief that he is not having to deal with the the mess that he had a big hand in starting Ugh, what a disaster um so lastly let's let's kind of change things up and bring it back to the home front of course we are still dealing with a pandemic yeah we have lots of sick people across the country uh deaths are starting to spike florida is starting to get close to out of control uh, other states as well, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Missouri, all of these places are really dealing with this Delta variant. We've got now uh, very, you know, immunocompromised people are having to get booster shots. And there's been a debate across the country about children wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's listen to this clip of an expert talking about it and uh, let's react to it. All right. Francis Collins, here he is. I think traditionally people kind of considered, well, you know, kids aren't going to get that sick with this. More than 400 children have died of COVID-19. And right now we have almost 2,000 kids in the hospital, many of them in ICU, some of them under the age of four. So anybody who tries to tell you, well, don't worry about the kids, the virus won't really bother them. That's not the evidence. And especially with Delta being so contagious, kids are very seriously at risk. And it's up to all of us to do everything we can to protect them as well as we're trying to protect everybody else at the same time. All right, so we've talked a lot about masks and and, uh, mandating masks. Um, I think we do have to talk about this in context. I I don't think uh, Dr. Collins, is he a doctor? Um, yes. Dr. Collins is saying that every child in every school district throughout the country, uh, needs to wear a mask. Um, but I think he is arguing against, um, some of the, the steps that have been taken in Texas and in Florida and, uh, a few other places where they're trying to ban mandating masks for school districts or, or even individual schools um, where you've had an issue. Right. So I, I wanted to get your reaction. As well, a father, fair, as yeah. a citizen. Yeah. The, the federal government, um, the CDC has recommended that everybody wear a mask, K through 12, regardless of vaccination status. That was one of the, uh, the things that they came out with uh, recently. And so Francis Collins over at NIH coming out and saying, look, People say that kids aren't really affected by this, as you just heard him say in that clip. Uh, but the truth is, we've got all these kids who've been affected. 400 have died, he says. And what the number he's referencing, the 400, that's for the duration of the pandemic. Um, kids are remarkably adept at uh, avoiding and defeating COVID. That's what that number means. When you hear 400 kids have died under the age of 18, that is a very positive thing. You don't want to lose a kid but relative to other risks, that is very low. That is very low. And, and it used to be that in the United States, we could like do risk assessments and say, oh yeah, you know, you know, the chances of dying in a car accident, you could lose many thousands of people a year to car accidents. So that's okay. We still drive 65 miles an hour on the highway or whatever the number is um, because we are willing to take some measure of risk in our lives. And the other part of this is he's saying, he said that, well, 2000 kids are in the hospital. The truth is like, even against the Delta variant, we know that the data show that the flu remained in 2019 was a higher threat uh, to children than COVID has been for the entire pandemic. Uh, and one other element here, kind of a two-part, but I'll, I'll try, I'll keep it short. The, the idea that masks themselves are useful to stopping 
negative outcomes or even the infection itself is still a very hotly debated thing, although you might not hear it in um, traditional corporate media outlets. There have been, there was a guy who just did a piece for City Journal this past week, uh, which is a responsible publication that look mm-hmm. did a very sober look at all of the, um, the uh, uh, controlled randomized studies that have been done on masks through the years uh, when it comes to a respiratory virus like COVID-19, including studies that have been done during the duration of this pandemic. And the results from that study show that those regular cloth masks that almost everybody's wearing or the surgical masks that almost everybody's wearing, that's some mix of the two, are by and large, it's kind of a toss up whether or not they're useful at all. The data are not super supportive that they're like broadly very good. The the real distinguishing mask seems to be the N95 mask. If you wear an N95 mask and you're infected uh, and you try and breathe that out, the chances are the N95 mask is gonna do a very good job at stopping the transfer of those particles. Beyond that, these cloth masks and the, and the surgical mask, this is the thing that Rand Paul was just banned from YouTube for, for saying, I think, recently, or one of the social media companies, that, that, that it is very, the data is very mixed. And so the CDC has not really been that forthcoming with this. They really don't talk about that aspect of it. So like, if we're really trying to protect people, if that is the mandate, then why isn't the CDC out there saying that we need to fit these children for N95 masks? Why are we playing games with the cloth masks or any of this stuff? I just think that it's, it's a form, Jason, of neurotic pandemic theater. What they really want is everybody to be vaccinated. And that makes sense. You want to get people vaccinated. In order to induce that, they need people to walk around with billboards on their faces that says the pandemic is still going on. In order, so, so if you strap up all the kids, that increases that neurotic pressure on people to be like, I've got to get my kid vaccinated. And that's really the outcome that they want. I just wish they wouldn't use the theatrics to get there. Well, we don't <clears throat> right now. Um, we don't even have a vaccine for kids under 12. Yeah. So to, to push a vaccine that doesn't exist, I think is, you know, people are pushing, you know, there are people who are pushing like, yo, hurry up with this vaccine. Right. And they are being very deliberate before they go out and, and put children under 12 um and allow them to get vaccinated um i think the point that you made about the n95 mask is really important and i think that um any state or locality that is considering uh even if they're not considering i think that they should uh make n95s available for every student and a student you know even if there's no mandate a student can put one on um if they want or if their parents want them to do that, that's that's something that should be available and made available by the schools. And certainly teachers and custodians and others should be able to come to work and have those available for them. Um, the N95 is more than 90% effective in filtering out the, the, uh, the virus. Um, and they do save lives in that regard. This is why when you go into surgery, your surgeon and nurses and all of those uh, people have on N95s because they are effective. And you would think that a school district would not come in and say, hey, you know, wear a cloth mask. I think they should tell the, the parents, don't worry, we'll mask your kids up. We gotcha. Um, just like they provide lunch, you know, just like in some schools they provide breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should, for all students, provide masks. And, and some by students- the way, by the way, in case it's not clear, I'm opposed to masking children unless their parents want them to be masked. I'm just said, I'm just pointing out the N95 seems to be genuinely infect, uh, effective, whereas the cloth mask is just theater, in my, as far as I can tell. Right, right. And, and that's what I'm saying is uh, at this point. Um, but if you have a school in a really uh, hot zone, uh, for COVID infection and certainly for hospitalization and death, then, you know, if the school system decides, hey, we want to mandate masks and they make the masks available, you know, I think that I have no problem with that. Um, I also think that in places where it's not a hot zone, like where I live or where you live, 
Um, I think, you know, making kids mask, I think then is theater. Then I'm against masking kids, you know, over 12, under 12, or any of that. Um, but what we are seeing, and this is the thing that Dr. Collins is saying, is people, you know, are going there and they're having their stupid rallies and all that at the school board meetings in places where people are getting infected. And then guess what happens? Their school system has to shut down. And that screws all those parents who were taking the precautions, who, who, you know, wanted to go to work, and now they have to be home with their kids doing virtual learning because other kids weren't taking the advice of the experts out there and or other parents, not the kids, not the kids' fault. The, you know, other parents weren't taking that advice and were rallying against the advice of medical professionals. That's upsetting to parents who have to change their entire lifestyle you know, um, in order to accommodate this. We were talking about the economy and about, you know, uh, inflation and all of that. And the thing that's going to fix it is the fact that people will now uh, be able to go to work because their kids will be in in-person school. But yet we're already seeing school districts shutting down. There was one in Georgia and other places where they're shutting down because kids are getting infected and ending up in the ICU. Just yeah, do the right thing if it's if it's in a hot zone. And you mentioned 400 kids now yeah. in 18 months, 400 kids, you know, that's 22 kids a month. Yeah, this damn near kid a month is dying. That's deaths. Not 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 to mention the 2000 kids who are a, kid a month, though, man, it's like. like Stack it up against literally every other way that you could die. I, I just. No, that's Obviously, 22 kids a month, <laughs> like not a kid a month, okay. 22 kids a month. But my point is like, look at the numbers in a country of 320 million people. Like, I mean, sure. we, we just have to have some perspective. That's all. And I, I'm not saying COVID is not a, a risk to people. It is. If you look at the, at the actual children who have died from COVID to a T, Johns Hopkins did a study on this. They're, they're all people with meaningful comorbidities, leukemia, like like people who are in extraordinary situations, horrible situations. But these are not, you know, typical young children. They're not at all. And so we I just I, what I hate about this moment in our history about this, especially about this pandemic, is that we're not we're not confronting it with sobriety. It's either that you have to be a completely crazy person who says that that there is no COVID, that the vaccines are, are microchips designed to track you. This is all a scam. Yeah. Or you have to like go the opposite direction and be like your crazy aunt telling you to wear three jackets in 75 degree weather. Right. <laughs> so like, like at some point we need to like be like, okay, that's insane. That's insane. Let's come up with something that's coherent. And the problem is that a lot of the people who are in charge have so devalued their own currency when it comes to credibility that it's hard to take them seriously. Uh, and so with that in mind, all, all I'm asking for is like, okay, let's do what we know works, which is protect vulnerable people. Let's encourage people to get vaccinated. Let's not browbeat them to the point that we radicalize them away from the vaccine. Like, let's be honest about natural immunity. Let's be honest about what we know about masks. And instead what we get fundamentally is a series of half-truths and dishonesty in the interest of well, public health. It's good for public health. No, it's, it's, it's not. Not if you keep lying about what works and what doesn't. That's all. No, I, I, I agree with you that there are people who, um, you know, who are alarmist. But I think that, you know, there are also, again, people who are dangerous. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I think that um, both feed one another. You know what I mean? When people see the dangerous people, they go the opposite direction. You know, the they see the people who are reading the misinformation and disinformation and talking about, you know, uh, being magnetized and yeah. microchips and biological right. weapons and and all this kind of stuff. And you're going to be tried for crimes against humanity. The woman right. who, um, who, who had no like it was interesting how she was able to make her chin disappear. Anyway, point being. Uh, you know, you have all of that, 
Yeah, but uh, the flip that, side I think that is, drives people to be like, all right, these people are crazy. I need to protect right. myself and my kid from them. But the flip side of it is what we've done is we've created this like neurotic, depressing society where you have people wearing masks outside by themselves, driving their cars or whatever. And and in addition, like you've created all these conflicts, like people are getting yelled at on airplanes for not wearing masks. You have people you have p- private citizens yelling at each other for not wearing masks in in outdoor situations. I was yelled at during the pandemic by some guy who was wearing a mask. I wasn't. I was standing literally 15 feet from him. And he started panicking that I wasn't wearing a mask outdoors. This is insane. That is not how you create a healthy society. So like we should have, I, that, that. my only point is like, I just want more honesty. And, yeah. and I think that's this sort of the theme of our show actually. And it, Absolutely. We, it, it came through. And when we were talking about Afghanistan as well, the big, the, the fundamental problem that's at stake here is how much dishonesty that's out there. Just tell the truth and then like, let, and let people process it. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And that's what we try to do here. We try to tell the truth. We try to have good, honest, good faith discussions, um, you know, from, from many different perspectives. And we agree on some things, we disagree on others, but we definitely agree on honesty. And I think if you honestly want to be a part of our mission, that you need to like and subscribe and become a part of the Save the Nation family. We are trying to save this nation from itself sometimes. That's right. Um, and, you know, I think that we're very happy, of course, that you guys are with us for this episode. Please like, subscribe, check us out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're going to have all kinds of cool surprises for you. Um, and we're going to be on at 4 o'clock. Is it 4 p.m.? Is that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 4 p.m., thereabouts. Oh, is that uh, it? Okay. We, I didn't realize we had a drop time. Okay, good. Yeah, I think we had, I think we have a drop time. But at, either, at any rate, definitely check us out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, anywhere a podcast is found, on YouTube or on Facebook Watch. We look forward to seeing you. Like, subscribe, comment, uh, and join what we're doing here. Yeah. Peace. Thanks, guys.